0: Uh, Let's turn in our Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Last week, we looked at the fruit of the Spirit, and this morning, we're going to consider the gifts of the Spirit. So I want to begin reading in chapter 12, verse 1, and we're just going to read through verse 11, although all of chapter 12 is really about the gifts of the Spirit. Paul writes this, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is accursed. And no one can say, Jesus is Lord, except in the Holy Spirit. I want to pause there for a moment because... When we think of the Holy Spirit, the, the primary heart and goal and ministry of the Holy Spirit is to lift up the name of Jesus Christ. That is his heart. He came to point to Jesus Christ. Um, and so what Paul is saying here is, It is the Spirit of God that says, Jesus is Lord. Not just the words, but the heart. Jesus is Lord. He is exalted. As we sang, He is exalted. That is the heart of the Holy Spirit, to lift up the name of Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit will never deny or undermine the name of Jesus Christ. So that is an absolute, that the Spirit of God, where the Spirit of God is moving, Jesus is lifted up. And where Jesus is undermined, forgotten in a corner, what have you. I don't care if people are swinging from the chandeliers. The Holy Spirit is not working powerfully in that midst. Let's continue. Verse 4. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues. To another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. When we consider the gifts of the Spirit... It seems to me the first question that we need to address is the question, are the supernatural gifts of the Spirit for today? Are they even operational today? There are teachings that say that the gifts of the Spirit were for the first century church only, that they were given, intended by God, to kind of power boost the early church to give them that added power boost, to get the church up and running, to start the church with power. But God never intended for the gifts of the Spirit to continue. And so the teaching goes that when the apostles died, so did the supernatural gifts. Now we could spend an entire message usually and more on that question but I just wanted to take a quick look at the primary scriptural support that those who believe that the, that the, uh, the gifts passed away with the um, early church, the primary scriptural support they turn to is 1 Corinthians chapter 13. So just one chapter later than where we are now. Verses 8 and 13 through 13. This is the only passage. There is no passage other than this one that says the gifts are going to pass away, that they're done, that they're, they're temporary. There is no other passage. If you're looking in the Bible to say, where does it say that? This is the passage that they turn to. And the big question here is, what is the day? What is that one day when the gifts will pass away? So let's read verses uh, 8 through 13 in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Paul writes, love never ends. but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now, faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is love. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about the importance of tethering the gifts of the Spirit to the fruit of the Spirit, the character of Christ in being formed in us to the charisma tower, the grace gifts. But here, Paul says, He does say that tongues and prophecies and knowledge, which I think means a word of knowledge, will one day pass away. They aren't permanent. They aren't meant to last forever. They will be gone. There will be a day. There is a day, Paul says, coming when there will be no more tongues. There will be no more prophecies. There will be no words of knowledge. And verse 10 tells us when that day is. He says, when the perfect comes, the partial The prophecies, the tongues will pass away. The supernatural gifts of the Spirit will end when the perfect comes. The question is what does Paul mean when he says the perfect? What does that mean? Those who are in the cessationist background teach that the perfect is the completion of the canon. When the scriptures were completed, that is when the, the perfect, in the sense of we have the full revelation of God, came. That is, that is that teaching. To me, there are a couple of reasons why that is very hard to believe. That's what Paul means here. But first of all, it's hard to square that. With Paul's description of the perfect. When Paul describes the perfect, he uses metaphors to describe the difference between the imperfect and the perfect. The imperfect, I am a child. The perfect, I will become a man or an adult. The imperfect, I see through a mirror dimly. The perfect, I will see face to face. The imperfect, I know in part the perfect, I will know fully, even as I am fully known. Now, if if what Paul has in mind by the perfect coming is the completion of the canon, then what he is saying here is that he was a child, we are adults, in, in his metaphor. That he saw through a mirror dimly, but we see face to face. That he knew in part, but we know fully. And it's hard to believe that Paul was a child. And, and by that metaphor, I am a man that he knew in part. And I know fully that because I have the full scriptures, I am, I know more and I am more mature or more of a man than he who wrote the scriptures. That is hard for me to square. Um, the other thing that I find um, in, in our respect of view. I understand people are wrestling through scripture. Uh, so there's no disrespect meant here. But the other, the other reason that I believe, I believe what Paul is saying here is not the perfect. It doesn't refer to the canon being completed, but the day when Jesus returns and sets up his kingdom, when everything is made perfect. And so, you know, some they point and they say, well, it's gender neutral. That's because Paul isn't just talking about Jesus when the perfect one comes. He is talking about that. But when the perfect one comes, he will set up the perfect, which means his kingdom, that everything will be perfect. Everything will be mature. Everything will be complete. And when that day comes... We will no longer see through a mirror dimly. We will see face to face. We're not going to know partially. We're going to know fully, even as God knows us through and through. And in that day, we won't need tongues. We won't need prophecy. In fact, I believe what Paul's saying in verse 13 is we won't need faith and hope anymore. All that will abide is love. You don't need faith when you see it all. There is no faith is that future. What's God going to do? But there's no need for faith at that point in time because we'll have sight. There will be no need for hope because we'll have perfect. There's nothing left to hope for. But in that day, out of faith, hope, and love, we'll only need love, and that will abide forever. There's one more point I want to make before we move on with this. If the gifts were for then and not now, if they cease, um, then we can pretty much cut First Corinthians chapter 12 and 1 Corinthians chapter 14, right out of our Bibles, because they really have very little to say to us anymore. And I, I know that Bible-loving people have a hard time and, and rightfully so are very uncomfortable cutting whole passages of scripture out and saying, this isn't needed anymore, unless there is clear scriptural support for that. Um, but these are instructions how to use the gifts in the church. And if the church is, uh, the gifts are no longer operational, these verse, these chapters are basically emptied of, of meaning. And I I respectfully disagree with those that would teach that. Okay, let's move on. Very simply, one spirit, many gifts. That's what we see in there. Verse four, Paul writes, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. I'm so glad Paul writes this because what he's talking about is a reflection of the church. The church is a unity of people under Christ and in Christ. But what I love what Paul is saying here, he's referring to the gifts, but it refers to the nature of the church. It's not a unity built on conformity. It's a unity built on diversity. There is variety. There is diversity. Our union in Christ is based on Jesus Christ and the word of God. Those are our anchors. Those are the non-negotiables. Those are what give us unity We are brothers and sisters in Christ. We believe in the inerrancy of God's word. But now there is, with those anchors, tremendous variety and diversity in the church. Aren't you grateful for that? I'm so glad that there is diversity in the church. God doesn't expect us all to look the same, to sound the same, to be the same, to do the same, to have the same gifts. He has brought variety into the church. And I love that. I love that. So God doesn't expect us all to do the same things or have the same passions or have the same gifts. We shouldn't try to squeeze ourselves into a mold that looks like everyone else or squeeze others into a mold that looks like us. We shouldn't put pressure on ourselves to be something we're not called to be. God has gifted you in a unique way to serve him and the church, there is one spirit and a variety of gifts. The Bible underlines this truth that all Christians have a spiritual gift. Every Christian has a gift given by the Holy Spirit to empower us to glorify God and make an eternal difference in this world. It may be a difference that never hits the headlines, never gets noticed by most people, but God notices. And God sees the difference that he does and he achieves through you, through me, through us, using the gift that the Holy Spirit has given to us. But no Christian is left out. And Paul's very intentional about that. Verse 6 says, God empowers the gifts in everyone. Everyone. Verse 7, he says, to each, to each, not to some, to each is given the gifts. And verse 11 says, the Holy Spirit apportions the gifts to each individually. So if you're not sure what your gift is or what to do with that gift, we're going to close with a few practical thoughts based on Paul's very singular encouragement. But What I want to encourage you to realize right now, I want you to just kind of get this in your heart if you haven't already and reinforce it in your heart if you have. God has gifted you. God has given you a gift. A gift to bless and serve and build up the church. You might have more than one gift. But if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you have a gift. Do not doubt that. Now, The spiritual gifts, Paul writes, are given for the common good and the building up of the church. Verse 7, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So whatever your gift is, whatever that gift is, whether it is teaching or God has given you a prophetic ministry or helping out behind the scenes, or administration, or showing mercy to people who are hurting. Whatever that variety of gift is, the purpose of the gift, Paul says, is for the common good. Our gift was not given to us primarily for our benefit, but for the benefit of the church, for the benefit of others. Chapter 13 anchors us with that. As we talked about a couple of weeks ago, the Corinthian church was going off the wall with gifts. They were they were abusing the spiritual gifts. They were they were um, basically glorifying people who had the kind of sensational gifts like tongues, prophecy, the more spectacular gifts, and then they were diminishing those that had more behind the scenes gifts like the gift of helps. So they were they were basically abusing the spiritual gifts. And so what Paul does is. Like we said, he anchors the gifts to the fruit of the Spirit as he goes into chapter 13 and and anchors the gifts of the Spirit to the love of God and to love being birthed in our hearts. Jerry Bridges in his book, Crisis of Caring, points out, he says, do this. He says, take a piece of paper and write zeros on it. Just write, fill the whole page with zeros. Zero after zero after zero. Fill the page, fill as many pages as you want with zeros. At the end of the day, they all add up to nothing. But put a positive number in front of those zeros, and now they have value. Without love, our gifts have no value. And Paul says, it doesn't matter. You can move mountains. You could give your body to be burned. You could could speak in tongues of men and angels. Without love, all of that, he doesn't say it has some value or little value. He says it has no value at all. But you put love in front of it, and suddenly those zeros have great value. When love is in front of our gifts, those gifts have great value. They are given for the common good, that which is best for the church. That's what is best. Love wants what's best for somebody. That's what love is. It wants what's best. It wants what is good. Not that which feels good. Sometimes, parents know this, sometimes you have to withhold something that feels good to your child because you want what's best for them. The gifts are given for the common good, for that which is good for the church. And the common good, I'm going to suggest to you, because I'm pulling from another passage now, the common good is called the building up of the church. That is the primary common good of the church. Jesus said, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Matthew 16, verse 18, I will build my church. And then we go to Ephesians 4, and we see Paul writes about the gifts being given. And here's what he says in verse uh, 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. So he's talking about the gift of God given to us, grace gifts. In verse 11, he lists some of those gifts. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints, for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. And he goes on to talk about how when each part does its part, the body builds itself up in love. So God has given the gifts. So the fivefold ministry of gifts... Apostles, prophets, teachers, pastors, evangelists, they are given not to do the work of ministry, but to equip the saints for the work of ministry so that all of this resounds in a building up of the church, building, building, building. The church that Jesus says, I will build, he is building through his people, through the Holy Spirit for the glory of God in love. That's the building. That's the common good. Um, so I, I just want to kind of encourage us to know, you know, the church, is, the church has taken some, some hits recently, its reputation, and, and in many cases, deservedly so. Deservedly so. So there are people who are struggling with the church, people who are disillusioned with the church. There are churches that are doing disillusioning things. And we've got to be honest when that's happening. But I want to just encourage us to know this. The church is the only earthly enterprise that has eternal, lasting value. The only eternal enterprise going on on the earth today is the church. Every other institution, every other, inter, every, every other cause we could give our lives to, I'm not saying they're irrelevant. I'm not saying they're not important or beneficial. The only institution, I hate to use that word, the only enterprise going on today that is eternal in its nature is the church. And we have the great privilege of investing our gifts and our labor and being a part of that building that is going to go into eternity. What a blessing that is. And when we talk about the church, I want to make sure that we're not just thinking of this building and this meeting. Because the church is the people of God being built up. It's not just a meeting. It's not just a formality. It's not just a service. It is the people of God. God's church is being built down the road. in this church and that church and the next church, his church is being built around the world. His church is being built in, in big buildings with lights and cameras and all that. His church is being built in little huts, in little living rooms. So when we talk about the church, I don't just mean a particular thing. I mean, there's a variety of ways that we can be working and our gifts can be working to build up the church. If you share Jesus Christ with a coworker, Jesus can use that to build up his church in an intense way, in an amazing way. If you feed the hungry in the name of Jesus, that is using your gift to build up the church, to reach them with the love of Jesus. If you invite someone to a Bible study, or you help out in children's ministry, or you welcome a new family to your neighborhood with with a, a meal, or you pray with someone who's going through a hard time, these are ways of using our gifts to build up the Church we've seen some some beautiful building up of the church with 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 various people getting sick and then people just taking meals to them and expressing care to them and that's just a way of saying we love each other and we're building it up and and we're in this together, and that has tremendous value. These are gifts if you're a medical worker helping the sick and there's a shout out to our nurses who are. Who are working especially those like patrick and rebecca who are working with covid patients um, and seeing hard things but but guys listen you are building up the church when you are loving jesus and loving people back to health and sometimes walking with them through even through to death that's a way of building up the church the church is not just in this building the church is in the hospital through his people serving there in that office through his people loving Jesus, there in that school, in that home, a child, a parent raising their children is building up the church, serving in the worship service, um, mowing the lawn of an elderly person. I mean, you name it, you name it. A ministry down the road helping women who have been trafficked sexually. These are ways. So I I don't want us to think about. The church and building up church is only like in this locale, this building, this congregation, this service. It's it's worldwide. Amen. It's, it's worldwide. It's people. People are the church. And, and building up the church isn't just like, it is loving each other. We're told to love each other. But it's also loving that person who doesn't know Jesus, that they might come to know Jesus. And even if they don't come to know Jesus, if you have given them a glass of water in Jesus' name, if you have loved and shared with them Jesus, you have pleased the Lord That's your part. That's my part. Beyond that, we are not responsible with what they do with that or what happens with that. Okay, so what a blessing we have to use our variety of gifts to build up the church. But I think uh, as we wrap this up, a lot of Christians sometimes wonder, what is my gift? How do I discover my gift? Um, The Bible says I have a gift. I have no idea what that gift is. No idea. I've served in different ways, but it's never felt like I've hit that gift, that empowered gift. How do I know? So, again, th- th- we're just going to kind of wrap up with just some thoughts. And I'm, I'm hoping these are practical thoughts that you might, the Lord might stir in your heart. The word that Paul uses is pursue. He closes chapter 12 down with pursue, and he opens chapter 14 with pursue. Let's just read it. Chapter tw- 12, 1 Corinthians, chapter 12, verse 31. Paul closes this by saying, earnestly desire the higher gifts. Then he goes into chapter 13, anchoring, tethering our gifts to love, to our character. And then he opens chapter 14 with this, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. So just a quick word here. Now he's anchored it with love. So pursue love and Don't give up on the gifts, you Corinthians, who are abusing the gifts. He doesn't say give up on them. He says, pursue them eagerly, but pursue love so that your gifts are used in an appropriate way. And when he says the higher gifts, Paul is to to Paul, the higher gifts aren't the ones that are more spectacular. They get, whoa, that's impressive. That guy prophesied. They must be spiritual. That person set up chairs. They're not spiritual. That's not what Paul means by higher gifts. He means the thing that brings the most love, the thing that loves people the best. That which benefits the body the most. Pursue those gifts. Be you want, to, you want to bless the church as much as you can by the grace of God. So, how do we pursue the gifts? How do we not? So, in that word, it's it means intentionality. It means we have a part, we have a, a labor to play to steward the gifts. Let's wrap this message up with a few practical suggestions how we can pursue, how we can identify, how we can use our gifts. Here's just a a few thoughts that I hope will point you in a direction. First of all, ask God to show you. Ask God to show you. What's my gift? And then believe God will show you. Faith is always central. It's a center part of our walk with God in every area. And ask God and believe God to show you what that gift is. Faith is central to our experience of God. And so believe that God will use you and then begin to step out and serve. So ask God, first of all. Second of all, consider your skills and abilities, how God has gifted you, what you're skilled at. All right, what you're skilled at, what has God gifted you with? If God has gifted you in an area, there will be a gift with it. All right, if you have a completely tin ear and your voice is horrible, then God may not be asking you to lead worship, okay? Uh, That's just a practical thing. If you're gifted at it, you know, if you are, if God created you to be a hammer, don't try to be a suture, You're doing brain surgery. God hasn't built you for that. He's built you for a certain thing. And there will be a natural or a supernatural, but an ability or skill that will go along with that. Now, listen, when we talk about skill, that does not mean you don't have to develop that skill. There will need to be developing of that skill. It will need to be cultivated. Anything we do, have you ever noticed this? Everything we do, we start out bad at it. I mean, you know, anything we do, we start out bad. You, you start out on drums, and you're driving people crazy. You, you start out on the violin, and it's not like, you know, Stradivarius there. It sounds like a dying chicken. I mean, it's just, it's just we start out bad, but that does not mean we don't have a gift at it. We have to steward that gift When we step out in the grace gift God gives us, we will stumble, we will fail, we will make mistakes, sometimes badly, but we become better stewards of God's varied grace by serving with that grace. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10, as each has received a gift, okay, we all have a gift. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. A steward develops and cultivates what they have. The third thing, so consider your skills, consider your abilities, consider your passions and your burdens. Um, what are you passionate about? If someone came up to me and said, I want to start a ministry in making crafts and, and giving them to people in a hospital or people in a, you know a craft ministry, man, I would cheer you on. But you know what I wouldn't do? I wouldn't join it. I would not join that, you know, crafts to me, I have no interest in crafts. I learned early on in my marriage that uh, when Janice walked into like a Michael's or a Hobby Lobby, I, I learned I start yawning the minute I'm in there. I'm, ki- I'm not kidding. I start getting sleepy the minute I walk into a-, a-, a Hobby Lobby, one of these craft places. You know why? Because there is absolutely nothing in the entire store I'm interested in. Nothing. Amen. Amen. Okay. I got a, a, a supporter there. But other people, they walk into it and their imagination comes alive. They start thinking, I could build this, I could do that. I don't see that way. I don't think that way. Where are your burdens and your passions? If you love to teach, maybe God's called you to be a teacher. Does that light your fire? If you think, I'd hate to teach. Maybe God hasn't called you to be a teacher. Uh, I we had a there was well I won't even get into that. (laughs) Um, Well, now I'm going to because you're going to be wondering what was I going to say. Uh, There was a young guy who who uh, was pastoring, and it turns out he loved to teach, and he was good at it. You know what he didn't like? He didn't like people. He didn't like people. Pastor, a pastor who doesn't like people, he's got a, a somewhat limited uh, range, you know, um, and so he he pastored for a short while and then realized that's not what God called him to. And you know, he went he went to like a Christian university. And he's teaching, bang. You don't have to change who you are. You just got to find out where God's called you to be. If you have a prophetic. Ability And, you know, maybe we should take a whole Sunday to talk about prophecy and tongues because they step out. But if you sense things and you tend to be accurate, God might have given you a prophetic ability. If there's a strong faith in your heart when you pray for the sick that God's going to heal, God may have given you the gift of healing. There's no gift that's unimportant. If you love serving behind the scenes, I don't want to be up front, but I love setting up chairs. I love doing what it takes to get things together, or you are administrative in your gifts. I love to administrate things, organize things. Those are important gifts. Find what you have passion in and and go for it. The last thing I want to just share is this. Consider the needs around you. Consider the needs around you. I have found personally, sometimes God shows us where we're gifted as we respond to a need. God has used needs to direct me more than once.